Welcome to Senior Connect, a podcast by Okra. In this episode of Caregiver Conversations, host Andrea Parado is joined by Natalie Hansen to discuss caregiver guilt. Hi, my name is Andrea Parado, and I am a certified dementia practitioner, and I'm here with Natalie Hansen. She is also a certified dementia practitioner. Hello. And we are going to talk about guilt. Guilt, guilt, guilt. It is a caregiver burden. It is something we all experience. Um, sometimes we don't always know it is what we are experiencing. Um, there is a little saying that I found on the internet, and I am not sure who wrote it, but it is very poignant, and I think it's important. The beauty of life is, while we cannot undo what is done, we can see it, understand it, learn from it, and change so that every new moment is spent not in regret, guilt, fear, or anger, but in wisdom, understanding, and love. And I think that is a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Um, If we have the understanding and we know what we're experiencing, I think that it will make it easier for us to deal with it. And I don't think that people who are living and caring for people living with Alzheimer's disease even know that what they're experiencing is guilt. Um, so how do I how do I know? How do I know that I am feeling guilty? Um, well, you can never be happy. Everything upsets you. Nothing is 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 fulfilling for you. Um, nothing goes right. Um, you're never content. You expect everything to be per- perfect. You expect that perfection when it comes to care and and your your loved one right and expecting it of yourself and it, well yeah expecting that of yourself too um you're you project your character and virtue onto others yes i can see that and then i expect you to you uh actually um i i expect my character and my virtue from you right Right. So I'm going to project what I feel, how you should act and, and hope that you act that way. And, and you also have no trust. Um, I'm the only one that can do the proper care. I'm the only one that can, can take, can do this. I know them better than you do. I know them better than you. I've lived with them my whole life. So it's, it's hard for you to trust someone to, to help with that care of your loved one. Yes. And if I, if I had somebody else caring for my loved one, I also, um, one of those um, feelings of guilt may manifest of me having to constantly oversee everything that that person is doing to care for my loved one. So it's really hard for me to take that step back and allow myself to rest a little bit um, and allow somebody else to care for my loved one because I feel so guilty that somebody else is doing it that I have to oversee everything that they do. Right. And I, and I, and I expect that perfection and I expect them to do it exactly how I do it because that's how I've always done it. And that's what my loved one knows and responds to. Um, but there's a lot that guilt will do to a person. Um, a lot. It makes me or you or anyone feel bad about a situation that I can't help with, you know, that maybe my, 
my parent has to move to a rehab because I can't care for them anymore by myself and I don't have anybody to help me. So I feel guilty because I had to put my loved one in a facility. You couldn't keep them at home and care for them yourself. Right. Which is, you know, they cared for you your whole life and you feel that that need to, to care for them. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they took care of you your whole life. They right. raised you and, and stuff. Um, I may beat myself up for reasons that are very unrealistic, um, and could be very counterproductive. Um, not to mention the stewing that I may do that wastes a lot of, um, mental energy. I'm just going to overthink and I'm going to stew about it and I'm going to wonder about it and I'm going to constantly second guess myself and all of that is, is very mentally, mentally draining. Um, unfortunately, it can be very mentally draining and then that makes things difficult as well. Um, so what does guilt do on, on top of that? Like there's more, there's, there's gotta be more than, than just those couple of things about guilt. You feel, you guilt, you can feel guilt for not spending enough time with your loved one. True. Whether it was before the diagnosis or even after the diagnosis. Oh, so I, I actually may feel guilty about <laughs> things that happened in the past before dementia even became a like problem. I should have, I should have spent more time with them before they developed the disease. I should have done this. I should have done that. And you, you that regret, that, guilt, that yes. regret, that guilt of coming into, and then, and then after the diagnosis, I'm not spending enough time with them. I should, you know, you feel guilty for not giving them that what you feel is the right amount of, of time for them. Yeah. Um, you can feel guilty when you lose your patients. It's not easy taking care of somebody with dementia. It's not. There's a lot of components involved it's, with dementia. And, and there can be some things that you don't understand that they're going through that you can lose your patients with. Repetitive verbalizations is a big one where yeah. you're trying to concentrate and your loved ones at home constantly repeating the same thing over and over or asking you the same question over and over. And it, and it, it, it can be very mentally draining again and that can be frustrating so then yeah i guess i would kind of maybe lose my patience and you know you're you're it's your spouse so you you know you've had probably little tiffs and arguments in the past so sometimes it feels like it's no big deal and it's a normal but it's not because with dementia it's 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 just a, such a bigger picture when right. it comes to losing your patients right and and not understanding and i think that that's a big part of losing your patients is if you don't understand the disease if you don't understand the 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 progress of the disease um then it you you're going to have less patience and i i firmly believe that inpatient caregiving comes from lack of knowledge. I don't think that people are impatient when caring for people with dementia just simply because they don't have the time to do it. We would not choose um, this this path of healthcare if, if we didn't have the patience to take care of, of, of people living with dementia. Um, uh, loved ones at home wouldn't choose to keep their loved ones at home, you know, if, you know, for that same reason, um, and they, they certainly wouldn't be impatient with their loved ones if they had the knowledge and the understanding of the disease. Of what and, they're going through. And yeah, and, and how the disease manifests all these different, 
you know, behaviors and, um, and just behaviors and expressions um, that they may not be expecting. And so, but if we expect it and we know it's going to happen and we have the knowledge base behind um, that and we understand the dementia better, I feel like maybe our patients um, would be um, a lot more. And, and I, I honestly think it's like no fault of our own. It's right. not because we just, we don't want to do it. We don't want to take the time. It's really we just lack how. of knowledge. Um, when I used to care for people myself, um, before I knew all of this dementia stuff and I, maybe I was that impatient caregiver a little bit because I didn't understand. And I would ask a client a question and they wouldn't respond right away. So I would go and start collecting clothes or doing, you know, whatever I was doing at the time and walk away from that person. When I come back, they're in the middle of talking to me. And if, and, and maybe they, they had something important to say. And if I had not been impatient because I understood that it may take them a little bit longer to get their answer out because it has to process, then I would have stuck around longer to listen to that answer. And then maybe I would have actually got some good information regarding that person I was caring for. And it would have made the whole thing easier. Um, so yes, knowledge is, is really powerful when it comes to caring for people who have dementia. And I think a another thing that caregivers feel guilty about is taking time for themselves. Do when I? Should I? Would I? Right. Can I? How is it? How am I going to do that? Right. When it's when the best way to care for somebody is to care for yourself too. I think we forget to care for ourselves more often than not. I think that we are just so involved. So focused on making sure that your loved one with dementia is getting everything that they need, that you're forgetting to give you everything that you need. Yeah, and then, and when, then you, when you do it, you feel guilty for for taking that time to care for yourself. And you're not there to oversee right. everything that the person is that's caring for your loved one now so that you can take that time for yourself. And so now you're starting to feel that guilt. So I, I can completely understand that. What about um, feelings from the past? There are some relationships that, and, and not even with spouses, but parents and children. There's a lot of dynamics that go into that. Yeah. You know, I might feel guilty, like from the way I treated you in the past or, or the way I responded to the way that you treated me in the past. And so I'm still thinking about that and I'm overthinking that. And then there comes that mental draining again. Yeah. Um, maybe I feel that, um, you know, this is my loved one and my dad raised me my whole life and it's my turn to take care of him. Right. And everybody in the, everybody, my friends, you know, Hey, you know, if you ever need some time off, I'll come over and sit with your dad for a while. But I struggle because I feel guilty if, um, if, if you accept help, if I accept help, because you should be the one taking care of them. I've right? been doing it. You've been doing it. And, 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 and yeah, I, I feel guilty if I accept help. But the thing to, to realize though, is when your parents are raising you, they had that help. They had that babysitter that came over to give them that day off. That's true. You know, it does take a village to raise a child. They say, and, and so I did, you had teachers, you had, um, the, the after school programs, the coaches of their sports teams, everybody was a parent to your kid back then. So I guess there was quite a few people stepping in and helping when it came to raising 
And I raising think that's, a, that's important to remember though, you know, yes, you, you know, you want the best person possible taking care of your parent because they made sure they got the best person possible taking care of you when they couldn't. But, um, it, it, it's important to remember that, you know, it's okay to accept that help. Yeah. And, and be a little forgiving of the help if it's not exactly the way that you pictured that care to be too. It's okay. But, um, and it's, 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 what's hard is a lot of all of the things that we're talking about actually intertwine together, you know, asking for help and feeling guilty about asking for help so that you can have time to yourself and then feeling, feeling guilty, guilty for having the time, for for having time for yourself. And then you're not overseeing and you're not spending enough time with your loved ones. And all of these things just keep to keep, um, circling back around over and over and over again. So how, how do you get out of that, that circle of guilt? Um, and that's, I think we, we should talk a little bit about, you know, it, it does make us feel, um, ambivalent. It does make, give us anxiety. We do get frustrated. We do get angry. We do get cranky. Um, sometimes we are fearful. Sometimes we, we feel disgust and not in so much a, in really bad terms, but how many of us want to do personal care on our dad, right? How many of us want to, you know, it's different with a spouse because, you know, you have that intimate relationship with that person. So I think it's a little bit different, but coming from an experienced um, caregiver who took care of her grandfather, um, it is very um, awkward. Um, it's, it's not a comfortable feeling when you have to do personal care on somebody who, you know, you spent your life growing up watching and you know they're already right and they're kind you know that they're kind of modest that generation is a little bit more modest and so it can be very awkward and it can be very uncomfortable um that and then that resonates with that embarrassment and then i i kind of feel embarrassed and you know maybe i don't want to tell people of you know the the things that i have to actually do to care for my father so when they offer help I don't want to give, I don't want them to come help because I don't want them to know that this is the stuff that I've been having to do with my dad, even though it's normal, even though it's love, right. you know, it's all about caring for that individual to the best of our ability, but there's always that embarrassment factor. There's that frustration factor, you know, um, that grief, grief for the person that was there before that is, you know, kind of changing now as the dementia, dementia is progressing. Um, again, we talked about the impatience. I feel impatient sometimes. And then I feel guilty for my impatience, you know, um, jealousy. Yeah. Jealousy is a big one. Jealousy of my friends who are out having a grand old time while I'm sitting at home caring for my loved one because I cannot leave them for any amount of time. You know, I might actually feel a little jealous, jealous of my um, siblings. The ones who aren't there taking care of them. Because they live in another seven. state. And so they can't be there. They have a life, they have a family, they have a career. They can't just uproot themselves so easily. And so you're kind of that one that took on that responsibility. And now you're, you're jealous I, of those. Which I think also leads to resentment. Much resentment. Yeah. Much resentment. I would resent my siblings, I think, a little bit if they weren't there to help me at all. 
even though I refuse to ask for help because asking for help makes me feel guilty. And so, it's not I mean, And it's so <laughs> cyclical. It doesn't stop. I say it's not their fault that they can't be there. You know. No, it, but, but you still but feel you that still, resent. You can still feel the resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that also kind of leads to some loneliness too. Right. Because I can't hang out with my friends. I certainly don't want to invite them over because what if dad has behaviors? Right. What if something happens and he doesn't know these people? And you know, there's how many times have you walked into, um, one of your, your clients that you're caring for suite and you walk out and you'll be back in five minutes and they don't even remember who you are right. or that you were even there. And so now my friends come in my dad doesn't, my dad or mom doesn't remember who they are. And they literally attack them for being in their house. You know, the stranger in my home and it agitates them and it gets them frustrated. And if you, if you don't know anybody going through the dementia, going through, you know, the dementia process with their loved one, then you can feel the loneliness of nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, that is a big one. That yeah. is a big one. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And so you're just so lost. You're just, you're just kind of inward by yourself and lost because who can I speak to about this? It's gonna fully understand. And I don't wanna to have to burden people. Yeah, right, I don't wanna burden people with what I'm going through. Right, because everybody's going through stuff in life, so why would I burden them with what I'm dealing with? Um, unfortunately, I think that sometimes we often forget, but that's what friends are for. You know, that's what family's for. We have to get past that guilt. We have to reach out for help. We have to. We have to reach out for the knowledge that we need to actually care for our loved one appropriately who is living with Alzheimer's and dementia so that they can have a really good, fulfilling life. So um, sometimes, you know, the, the, the hardest one, I think, well, maybe not the hardest, but one of the hardest ones is tiredness. I'm exhausted. I am so tired and I'm so exhausted and I am trying every day to get through every day and make every day the best the day. Best day. Um, but not every day is the best day. And it's, ex and it's tiring and it's exhausted mentally and physically. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you have your wanderers that, that you have to constantly take out for walks or the moment you turn your back, they're out the door and you're chasing after them. So it, it can be very physically exhausting. And then there's that mental exhaustion of constantly reinforcing, you know, that, that they're okay, um, that these people aren't strangers, that it's okay that I care for you, that it's okay that we do that, you know, whatever it is that they may seem fearful of or unsure of or uncomfortable with. So exhaustion, because when we're tired, we don't, we don't work at our best. No, we don't function at 100%. We don't function at 50%. <laughs> we, we are, we are low functioning and, and, and our, our emotional tank is probably empty, probably pretty darn empty at that, at that point. So, you know, you just, it, there's, there's a lot that goes into guilt. Um, there are a few tips that we can help with dealing with guilt, like tackling your guilt. I know it's easy for us to say. It's so easy for us to say. Um, but when I say tackle your guilt, I don't mean just throw it out the window <laughs> after you wrangle it all up and it's just going to disappear. When I say, what I mean by tackle your guilt is understand it. Know what it is that you're feeling. And I think that so often you feel guilty for, for feeling, feeling guilty. guilty. And I think some people, I think you need to realize that it's okay to feel guilt. Like it's, it's one of the emotions that's been given to you. It is. And it's okay it's to feel guilt, but it's, it, it's kind of like what you do with it. Like you said, you tackle your guilt, you talk it through, you recognize that you're feeling guilty for this. And now what am I going to do about it? Well, you hit my next point, which Sorry. is talk it through. <laughs> there we go. Talk it through. 
It's very important. Talk to someone. I know it's hard to put that burden on other people. I know it's hard to, again, reach out for help. But sometimes that help doesn't have to be that physical help of somebody coming in and giving you that break and taking care of your loved one. Sometimes that help can be mental help. You know, um, seeing somebody, talking to somebody, whether it be a professional or just your best friend or your, your, your spouse or somebody, so that you can actually talk through that guilt because we all go through guilt and how do we overcome it? We talk about it, we yes. recognize it, we understand it. And sometimes we just need a break. Sometimes we just need a break. And it's not always easy to take that break because again, that guilt is there. But if you don't take a break, you are going to eventually wear yourself down. And, and that's what we call caregiver burnout. And it happens to the best of us, whether we work in the healthcare field, taking care of individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia all day, or whether we are at home caring for our loved ones, we all will experience that caregiver bur um, burnout if we don't take care of ourselves and we don't take a step back. There are lots of places um, and facilities that allow like respite care where you can take a week and... Um, allow that person to, you know, stay in a facility where they're going to get activities and they're going to get some social interaction and take that break for yourself. Maybe go on a little mini vacation. I know it's hard. It's hard to step away. It's hard to walk away from them, but sometimes you have to take that break and care for yourself, you know? Um, it's so important to remember. And I think it's important to separate the past from the present. It is very hard to let go of some of those feelings that we have from the past of what they may have um, been like or who they were, um, because who they were might not be who they are today. Um, it, it's going to change them a little bit. It's going to change their personality a little bit. It's going to, or a lot, and it's going to change those behaviors a lot. Um, and so being able to separate the past and knowing that they probably don't even remember most of those infractions that happen within your relationship with that person. So if you can separate the past from the present and live in the present with them, live in the moment with them, that's important, yeah. right? Um, because they don't necessarily remember five years ago or 10 years ago or even 20 years ago or five minutes ago. So living in that moment with them is actually going to help you actually separate the past and the present. And it might actually help um, take away some of those feelings of guilt. Um, we do have, there are some um, coping mechanisms such as anger. We all feel anger. How often have you felt like you are going to lose it? Hmm. All, well, for me, it happens a lot. Um, but while providing care, I've learned um, so much that, you know, I, I understand the disease process. And I think that um, that is half the battle of, um, dealing with that anger. Um, sometimes you feel like you are on your last nerve. Um, your anger and frustration, um, are actually kind of normal. Um, I feel that if I could forgive myself for being impatient or feeling angry or feeling frustrated, if I can maybe find constructive ways to express my feelings or handle my feelings. Um, 
you know, taking that, taking that walk, de-stressing myself, basically. How do I find that stress-free take zone? Take a time out. Take a time out. Take that step back. I think that will help a lot. Um, learning that, that walk away method and giving myself that little bit of a break. Um, and, and finding those supportive people around me, there have got to be supportive people. Um, maybe you can't find them in your family. Maybe you can't find them with your group of friends, but there are people out there who have a lot of information and resources that could actually help you. Whether it's, um, there are Alzheimer's and dementia groups, um, that actually help people just sit around and talk about all the things that they go through. Um, because they're all, you're not alone. There are other people in this world who are going through, who exactly are going through, going through the exact same thing you're going through. And so I think that, um, finding a good support group, um, sometimes being around strangers instead of being around people who, you know, you live with every day is easier. It's easier to talk about those, those, those things that maybe you feel embarrassed to talk to your friends about. Exactly. Cause and you know, these people are going through the same things as you. They're going through it too. That's, that's the amazing part. Um, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Ooh, anxiety is a big one, right? Mm -hmm. What? Well, because a lot of times you feel like things are going out of control. You can't control what's going on. You can't control the disease process. You can't control how your loved one's behaving. So that anxiety rises. And rises. And rises and rises. And I think it's important to, to pay attention to it, to recognize it, and come up with some coping mechanisms for when that anxiety does get to you. Um, you, anything that will give you a break from what is happening. And again, we talk about taking a break, taking a break, taking some me time, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, you could uh, just stepping outside and smelling the fresh air. Right. I mean, even as a caregiver deep breath. in a facility, I have to take my breaks. We They're all so have important. to decompress at some point in time. So even if it's a 10 minute break where you can actually step back and just kind of decompress a little bit, um, is, is very beneficial. Um, I think that it's really important to, to take a break, to take a break from, from everything, um, once in a while. And I think that it will help that anxiousness because with anxiety can emerge that short fuse, which, um, creates that anger and frustration and it just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but I think that that anxiety is kind of like a warning system for your body Yeah. to say, Hey, it's time to take a step back for a minute. You know, maybe you need to take a little, little time out and take a little break. Um, there's lots of different ways to cope with anxiety. Of course, you should always see your physician if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety, but you know, deep breathing, meditation, exercise. We talk about this a lot um, when we are working with individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, that exercise is one of the best stress relievers. Um, so that might actually help, you know, even if you have to run on a treadmill in your home so that you can hear or keep an eye on, at least you're, you're, you're reducing some of that stress um, through exercise. And doing it without it being you taking your loved one with dementia for a walk and having to continue, you know, that, that stress. Um, but just giving yourself that break from what's happening in the moment, in the moment. Um, you know, we have that, that crankiness, that irritability, it comes with being tired. 
um, tired, uh, tired physically, tired mentally, um, tired, tired, tired. And when we're tired or stressed, it is hard to control the things we do and the things we say. And often things that we say that um, we don't mean. And it's just, it's in that moment and we're just cranky and we're irritable. And today I just don't know if I can do this. And so we often will lash out at the smallest, littlest, tiny inconveniences. Um, but we can we can find ways to, to deal with our, our cranky um, and irritability. Maybe we need a break, a break. It's always about taking a break because we need rest. We have to rest, we have to sleep. At some point in time, our bodies have to rest. And we know that when we sleep, um, we are less irritable. Um, when we get a good night's sleep, we will actually work better the next day. We will do better the next day. We'll have more energy the next day. We'll be less cranky and irritable the next day. Um, you know, often we will turn to alcohol, have a glass of wine here and there to kind of help de-stress ourselves. Sometimes we turn to food, um, you know, that favorite junk junk food that that half gallon of, of ice cream that's been sitting in the <laughs> freezer I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go chow that down and eat my stress away um but and, and and unfortunately it's normal to feel that way um it's normal to do those things um it's it's uh, it's how a lot of us deal with stress um but it's more beneficial if we were to maybe keep a journal um, of, of what's happening and, and knowing that if we don't have somebody to talk to necessarily, we can write down our feelings. And sometimes writing them down helps, you know, get them, yeah, out. Get them out, get rid of them. Yes. And it makes us feel better. Or of course, talking with a professional and, and having them help us with, with that. Um, and then of course, there's always depression. There's that sadness. And that's, that's hard to get away from when you feel like you're cranky and irritable all the time and you're tired all the time. And of course the depression contributes to feeling tired all the time. Um, and I think that anybody who cares for a loved one at home is going to run the risk of being depressed, right? I mean, there's that feeling of hopelessness that loneliness, um, like you discussed earlier, um, when you don't feel like there's other people going through what you're going through, I think is what you talked yeah. about. And that, you know, you still feel lonely even though you're surrounded with people. Right. But you're the only one really going, going through, through it. it. You're the only one 24 seven caring for that individual. Everybody else gets to come and go as they please. And I think, I think part of the depression also is, you know, is that mourning too, of mourning of, of who they were and, and what they're going through and, and, and everything too. That, that grief, that grief that can kind of lead into the depression because, you know, things aren't the way you pictured them to be at the, at this stage of, of your life and their life. Not even a little bit. I don't think, I, I, I just don't think anybody could be prepared for something like this because, you know, you spend your life, um, making memories. You spend your life working hard for retirement so that, you know, and then you have this plan for retirement, you know what you're going to do and life is going to be so great. And then your loved one, your spouse ends up with a dementia diagnosis. And so life takes a completely different turn than you had previously expected, like you said. And, 
Yeah, it's it's it can be very depressing. You're mourning your life that you 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 should have had or would have had or could have had, um, and and that's got to be tough because then you manifest that into guilt for feeling for that feeling way. that way. Yeah, I can't yeah. even imagine. Um, but the good news is depression is treatable. You can see a physician. Um, there are medications that could be helpful with depression, um, maybe short-term use. Um, but you have to talk to your physician. You have to talk to a professional and talk to them about feeling depressed. Um, join that caregiver support group. You know, uh, there's many with, for Alzheimer's and dementia out there that um, a lot of people go to. It's actually quite beneficial. I've had quite a few family members um, of clients I've taken care of that actually went to those support groups and then they became friends. And so then through those support groups, they made more friends and then they were friends who could sit around and actually discuss exactly what was going on. on. And they could talk about their relationship experiences and they can talk about the behaviors and the different things that their loved ones are doing and the feelings that they're having associated with what their loved one is going through. So I think that could be very helpful um, as far as the depression goes. Um, And of course, exercise, move your body, get up, take a shower, start your day, you know, instead of just laying in bed, that that can be very helpful. Um, Let's talk a little bit about disgust because we, we touched base on this earlier Um, And I want to talk about this because it's very important because I think that having to help someone can be too intimate. It can be an experience um, for many caregivers that can be very embarrassing. Um, It's awkward because you are caring for somebody who is not your spouse, but maybe a, a, a different type of loved one, such as a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or an aunt or an uncle. And so um, if, that, if that loved one is incontinent of stool um, or, or urine and you have to change their adult diaper, it maybe, you know, you were never that person that could actually initially do that before. And so it can be very nauseating. Um, it can even feel repulsive that having to clean private body parts of someone like a parent, it can be very unnerving. It can be very uncomfortable. Um, I can tell you that from experience. It's, it's a little awkward. Um, and you know, I had to learn how to accept that. I had to learn how to divide myself, I guess. And, um, tell myself that I'm doing an act of service for somebody that I love. Um, and even though I may find it repulsive, even though it may disgust me, even though I might feel a little revulsion, um, the person that I'm caring for is not in control of their behaviors. So they're not in control of their bowel and bladder anymore. Right. And so I, I kind of have to do that and it's not their fault. And I have to remember that they're not doing this to me on purpose because they know I'm disgusted by it and they know it embarrasses me and makes me feel awkward. Um, it's, it's through no fault of their own. And I think that if I, if I recognize that, 
And I constantly reiterate to myself, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. You know, I can do this, that I think it would be a little bit easier. Um, I think that maybe sometimes we feel guilty because we think we should be accepting, but we're not. And that's hard. And so we feel guilty. Like I can't do this because for the longest time, I will say that I, I do have another sibling and I would have her, um, do the care stuff because for her, it didn't seem like it bothered her that much, right. you know, and she was able to, to make that division a lot easier from, um, family member to caregiver. Of course, we both work in the healthcare field. So it's, you know, we understand that, that division, but it was harder for me. It was harder for me to give grandpa a shower when he needed one. It was harder for me to take him to the bathroom. And it wasn't because I felt revolted because he was incontinent of bowel or bladder because that was something I was used to. It was that awkwardness. It was that embarrassment, you know, of seeing his private parts and stuff. That's not something that any child ever grows up thinking that this is what my life is going to be like mm -hmm. with grandpa when we get older, you know? So it, it was, it took me a while longer to acclimate to that and to be able to say, okay, you know what? I am the caregiver and this is something that is needed. It's not something that he's doing to me on purpose. It's not because he, he wants to embarrass me or he wants to make me feel awkward or disgusted or whatever. It's something that I, I it's needed. It is a, a need. And we all know that a need is a need. Right. Until it is met. Until it's met. And so how can I let not, how can I not meet that need? You know, I had to kind of push myself through that. And so that, um, I met his needs. And I just had to make sure I separated myself. It's not always easy and not everybody can do that. Not everybody works in the healthcare field and this is just, you know, their usual routine. routine. Um, sometimes we might want, you know, you, you might want to hire somebody, like maybe some home healthcare to come in and help you with some of those needs if it's hard for you. Um, or maybe you need, it's, it's time to start for, to look for, you know, that help outside of the home, um, so that you don't have to feel so awkward and embarrassed or disgusted because you want to have a good relationship with your loved one. And those feelings might impede that. So it might actually be beneficial to reach out and get that help. Fear. Yeah, that's a big one. Fear. What if something happens? What if I can't cope? What if something happens? What if they fall? What if they hurt themselves? What if they get out of my house? What if I can't find them? What if something happens to me, the caregiver? What, whoa, what if something happens to me? Who's gonna take care of them then? Oh, I never thought of that one. Um, caregivers take on a huge responsibility. It's big, it's, it's, it, it doesn't get any bigger. You're caring for another human life. Um, so that, so you're always constantly thinking of what might happen. What could happen? What if I left the room for five seconds and they fall and they hurt themselves? That's my, is that my fault? Now I feel guilty because I walked away walked for away. five seconds thinking that that would, they would be okay. Um, there are some, there are actually some ways to maybe help you feel a little bit safer if you're caring for a loved one, um, with dementia, um, if you have an extreme wanderer or somebody who likes to get out of the house a lot, 
Um, one of the methods I thought was interesting was to take an article of clothing, like a shirt that they've already worn and don't wash it. Just put it in a Ziploc bag and seal it and stick it in one of your drawers. Because if there ever came a time when your loved one actually wandered away from the house and nobody could find them, if they actually involved the police, they would have their scent on that shirt. And that might actually help locate that person a lot faster before that they actually get you know, hurt pretty bad. Um, another one is you ever see those little camper alarms that you can put on doors and windows. Mm -hmm. And if you, it's like a magnet. And if you open the door, it makes that horribly loud buzzing noise that might help in the middle of the night. You can turn those on, on your doors because they're less likely to look up and see those, or even, you know, recognize that they can shut them off. And when they try to leave, you're going to hear that noise and that might be helpful. Um, so it might actually help alleviate your fear if you could put some protection in place. Have a contingency plan. Have a contingency plan. Know that there are going to be things that may happen um, that are completely out of our control. Um, but if we put some of those, those little plans together, it might actually help alleviate some of that fear. What is another one is grief. Let's talk a little bit about grief because grief is kind of... It's kind of hard watching your loved one decline. It's hard watching them go from understanding and having a good, meaningful conversation, you know, one day and then the next they're struggling just to get their words out and they're struggling to communicate their needs and they're declining because we, we know that Alzheimer's is a, and, and most dementias are progressive and they don't get better and you, there, there is no cure. So knowing that and having to watch the that, decline. that decline, I, I, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of grief there. Um, not being able to see them do things that they used to do and enjoy is, can be very sad. Um, I know that, uh, you know, you grieve for their loss of independence you grieve for that loss of love and intimacy. Um, we touched bases um, on the love languages and how feeling loved is so important. Um, and you, when you're loving somebody with Alzheimer's disease, it's that one way road and they're not reciprocating it the way that they used to. So you may be grieving for the loss of that, that emotional connection with that person that you once had. Um, and then, you know, I think that creating a ritual or some sort of routine might actually help. Um, maybe seeing somebody to talk about your grief, talking to somebody about your sadness. Um, it may lead into depression. And we would hate for that to happen. So um, you might actually see somebody and, and be able to talk to a professional that might actually help with that grief so that it doesn't turn into that, um, that feeling of hopelessness. Hopelessness. Um, how about impatience? We touched a little bit on this earlier, but how difficult is it 
to get your loved one up and moving in the morning when they have Alzheimer's and dementia. I mean, just working in a facility and getting people up in the morning, it's a process. Yeah. It takes a while. It's not, it's not hurry up, get dressed and, and, and run out the door. It never works that way. Right. It takes time. Um, we have to get acclimated to the day. Yes. First. And then you have to go through the process of that's uh, how I get acclimated <laughs> to the day. You have to go through the process of getting dressed and stuff. And, and, and sometimes that process for them has been forgotten. So you're having to work on that more, which is making that time. And then I'm getting impatient. And then, yeah, then you're getting impatient. And then the p impatience goes to that frustration. And, and Right, because let's say the doctor's appointment is at 10. And I, haven't, I, I cannot get my loved one out of bed. I'm struggling to get them dressed. I can't, I keep telling them that we have a doctor's appointment, but they're not just quite understanding. Um, and the more I rush, the more they, 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 they retreat and they kind of pull back into themselves and they don't want to do the things right. that I need them to do most desperately to get to that doctor's appointment. So now I'm starting to get frustrated and I'm starting to show that impatience. Um, and then maybe, um, my my loved one has a hard time actually getting out the door um, because all of a sudden you know they need to do this or they need to do that and that attention span isn't quite what it used to be so they're easily distracted and it, and it is it's a, it's a it's a process to go from one task to another it really really is and so it's understandable that you're going to be impatient at times you know you have a schedule that you have to maintain especially with doctor's appointments you don't want to miss them it's so hard to get in there anyways and now you finally it's the day and guess what it's not their best day and so you're going to get impatient and it and and in order to get through that you're going to have to forgive yourself right i mean yeah. you, you don't really have much a choice when i'm tired when i'm frustrated when i'm trying so desperately to keep things under control and nothing is happening in any capacity of the routine that I had, I had planned out in my head for the morning, I'm, I'm going to have to understand that. You know, it's natural to want to speed things up. It's natural to want to go faster. It's natural to want to just get through it and just run through the motions and, and get out the door. But it's not easy for my loved one to complete those tasks. It is not easy for my loved one to be able to go from task to task to task so so easily, right? I mean, we, we struggle with this um, sometimes just doing an activity with, with multiple clients, trying to get them all to um, come together. And, and it's easy to get, become impatient. Um, you know, you, you're trying so hard to keep them healthy, to keep them at their best. And you know, taking them to that doctor's appointment is super important because you know, they, they, you gotta make sure that they're getting the right meds. You have to make sure that, they, that their health is good. And so you're trying your best. And in that trying of your best, you're becoming impatient and you're trying to cope with that. Um, but if you know that this is what's starting to happen now, and you know and you understand and have the knowledge that every day isn't going to be the best day, then you can pre-plan. Yeah. So maybe getting them up earlier. Maybe we have to start earlier than 8 a.m. for a 10 a.m. appointment. 
Maybe we need to start at 7 a.m. Or maybe we need to start at 6 a.m. Maybe we need to start the night before by laying out our clothes and, and talking about the next morning with that person before bed. Um, but understanding what you can control and what you cannot control, I think is the key to success because you're not gonna always be able to control the person that you're caring for. Right. And, and I think that it's really hard to not let that impatience manifest. But if you know that this is what's gonna happen and you have that, that mindset, I think that it'll really help in the coping process when it comes to your impatience. I think you should touch base a little bit on, on jealousy a little bit because we did talk about that a little bit earlier, but I mm -hmm. think this is a really important one because it creates a whole conundrum of emotions. Um, just feeling a little bit of jealousy. Well, and I think, you know, there's different forms of, of the jealousy that you can feel. Like you can feel jealousy about your friends and 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 who are able to go out and do things. Um, you can be, feel jealous of your siblings who um, maybe aren't, aren't there day to day. And they, you know, they have, that family life and and that you want right but they're you not know, really a big participant but they're not a big participant or they live at like they live out of state and so you know um yeah and you're taking care of the parent who has dementia for many years and they're out of state living their life and you're like why can't i have that <laughs> right you know um and and it's okay to feel the jealousy um, it's just, you know, how are you gonna, you gonna cope with it? You know, right. it, it's okay to admit being jealous, um, because you feel that things aren't, aren't fair. And with jealousy, sometimes comes resent, the resentment, um, and envy of other and people's, envy. of other people's, um, good fortune per se, compared to the life you're living as a caregiver. I actually had a family member say something to me once now that you now that you said that um, with the jealousy aspect and it was how come my mom has to live like this with this dementia day in and day out but my mother-in-law died quickly and peacefully and didn't have any of this. Oh yeah. And he he sounded actually quite envious of his his wife's mother's experience um than his own mother's you know he was kind of jealous that that she just she she went quickly and peacefully and didn't have to have any of the trauma of of living of with, dementia. with dementia right and so there i think that there's a little bit of that jealousy factor of um why does my loved one have to live with this why does my loved one have to go through this when somebody else's loved one didn't have to deal with any of this you know, and they didn't have all these care issues and they didn't right. have to care for their loved one. And, you know, I, I, I imagine there's a little bit of jealousy that that goes in with that. That makes sense. Um, and, and we're saying, like, you know, it's OK to admit to being jealous and stuff. It, it's what's not OK is living in it. Right. Um, so I, you I know, can see that. We, I bet it's really hard, though, to admit to somebody that how jealous or envious I, you are. Or it can just station. be admitting it to yourself. This is true. If, if, if you're letting that jealousy overcome your life and, and be a problem um, and um, enjoying the things that you like to do, it, so it's not necessarily admitting it to somebody else, but admitting it to yourself that I am jealous, it's okay, and I'm not going to let it overtake my life because it can so easily overtake your it, life. It can consume and keep you. you. It can consume you and keep you from doing the things that you like to do. 
So, you know, admitting it to yourself is probably a big thing. And I think, you know, that's, we've touched on this as a coping mechanism where journaling would come in so importantly, you know, journaling and putting down those jealousy feelings, putting down those depression feelings, putting down any of those feelings that you're having of, you know, or any of those feelings of guilt that you're having can be so important to moving past the feelings that you're having. So recognizing it, coming up with that plan to how am I going to help myself with these feelings and then moving past it and continuing on. Yeah. What about that? Uh, you know, we, we actually talked before of when, with the love languages and that language of, of languages of appreciation, as they're also called. How about a lack of? Lack of appreciation. In, your loved one with dementia can't show you that I appreciate what you're doing for you. They, you know, most likely do appreciate what you're doing for you, but don't have those, the capacity of those words to express it. They're not giving me those, those girls. Thanks so much for all you do for me. And thanks for caring for me today. So Yeah. And it sometimes can be an empty feeling, you know, you're doing all this care on, on your loved one. And then it can be that empty feeling of, I don't feel appreciated. Well, right. And then, you know, sometimes you're, you're trying to care for somebody and they're pushing you away and they're not allowing you to care for them. And, and you have to keep in mind, you know, that, that with dementia and Alzheimer's comes behaviors. Um, they're not always comfortable with care. Um, but so they're pushing you away not because they lack love for you or they lack that appreciation, but they still have that feelings, those feelings too of embarrassment or frustration. Um, they have that, that I I'm independent. I can do it myself. They, they want to be more independent. And I mean, can you imagine being dependent on somebody for everything? Right. Yeah. Even thinking that's gotta, that's gotta be hard. Right. So you're like you said that, that, not being able to reciprocate that appreciation and not feeling it from your loved one who you're caring for day in and day out, putting everything you've got into it. And, and, you know, they're, they're not able to reciprocate that. And it's could be, it could be very hurtful, makes you not feel so good when you don't, when you don't feel appreciated. So sometimes it has to come from within giving yourself that pat on the back giving yourself the, hey, you know what? You did a good job today. You know what? You are caring for your parent <laughs> alone and you're doing, a dar- and they're, they're thriving. So you must be doing something right. But at the end of the day, the, you know, they're laying in bed, sleeping peaceful. You got through that day. It can just be, hey, I got through the day. Because tomorrow might be our best day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it is giving yourself that pat on the back. Um, you know, but it's also important we talk, talk about it a lot too, having a support group, you know, that, that might be able to, to give you that, you know, hey, you're doing a good job caring for your grandpa. Right. You really right. Are. And that support group is going to help you combat that loneliness because loneliness is, is a big issue when you're caring for somebody with dementia and you don't feel like you can reach out to other people and you feel like what you mentioned earlier about feeling um, like you're the only one going through this. Um, and so if you go to those support groups and you realize, you know what, you're not the only one dealing with this. There is a plethora of individuals in this world who are taking care of their loved ones at home. A lot of, a lot of people are taking care of their loved ones at home with Alzheimer's and dementia. So how, I mean, 
there, there's got to be a point in time where, where you're going to go through a lot of these feelings and loneliness is going to be one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, friends stop calling because you're never available. You know, as, as your friend, I'm reaching out and I say, hey, let's go to the movies. Hey, let's go here. Let's go. Want to go shopping. Want to do this and do that. And you're never available because you got to stay home with your loved one. Well, they eventually they're going to stop calling because you're never available. So now your friends have even kind of, you know, withdrawn and, and, and pulled away from you, you know. And so you you also feel like you've kind of run out of things to say like your your life your normal has become caring for this individual every day and that is your normal and so when people want to have a conversation to what they assume is normal you have nothing to talk about but caring for your loved one because right. that is your life now that is all that you are doing and so i imagine that's kind of hard you know with friends and they do sort of start to to withdrawal and pull away um so those support groups, I think, are very important. Um, finding ways to get out of the house and get away a little bit. Um, I know that it's, it's, it's always difficult because, again, you don't want to ask for help. You don't want to let allow somebody else to care for your loved one. But I think that it's, it's really important um, as far as loneliness goes. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to touch on, of course, is, is let's talk about that tiredness again, because as a caregiver, how often do you get a full night's rest? How often do you hour. get to sleep through the night? I mean, they're, they get up at night. You don't sleep well either. So you're up and down, up and down, up and down. I had a family member whose husband had, um, a dementia diagnosis early on and she slept on the couch. And to this day, six, seven years later, she still sleeps on the couch, even though he doesn't live in her house anymore mm -hmm. because of that routine and habit and that, that, that constant um, fear of something happening. So she still sleeps on the couch. Yeah. I, I, I'm just so she can get a good night's sleep. I mean, she had to sleep on the couch. So when he would try to get out, she would she be, be alerted right to it and be right there ready and waiting. And that became so ingrained as a habit that that's what, that's all she knows now. Um, you know, you're, you're getting up to take them to the bathroom. Um, you have to redirect them back to bed. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get up really quick to get something to drink, it's usually easy for me to get right back to sleep because it's, it's pretty quick. But when you get up with somebody who has Alzheimer's or dementia, that's not a quick process. Because again, we're going from task to task and we're trying to help them. And so it takes a lot more than two minutes. And so now you're wide awake. And now you have to read a book or watch TV or something to wind back down and go back to sleep. And by the time you get back to sleep, guess what? It's time to get back up again. So I think that getting a good night's sleep is um, really, really difficult. Um, and so we have to find a way to put sleep back on our priority list. It, it's important. Um, it will interfere with your health. Um, lack of sleep leads to um, illness, crankiness, impatience, obesity, inefficient, inefficiency in accomplishing tasks. I mean, you have a, this, this constant state of mental fog. And so how are you, as the caregiver, going to care for your loved one at your best ability 
when you're not sleeping because we know that if you're super tired there's no way that you could be at your best ability you know you're going to be impatient you're going to be cranky you're going to um have you know those moments where you snap really quickly um and so you know as a caregiver you know you do this amazing work caring for others every day you have to remember to care for yourself that is what we always forget to do. We are so caught up in caring for our loved one that we literally forget to care for ourselves. Um, so you, you also have those emotional issues that can weigh you down and impact not only your ability to cope and provide that care, but it's, it's also going to harm your ability, your health, your ability to self-heal. You know, you, you, you have to sleep. Um, and if you have to change your priority list to put sleep on there, then, then you're at, at some point you're going to end up with that caregiver burnout if you don't. So after talking all about that guilt, I think that we should end with a quote from Christian Northrup. And it goes this, believe it or not, Completely accepting your guilt will help you release it much faster than hanging on to it and beating yourself up for it. It is when we resist feeling what we're really feeling that we get stuck. And as the saying goes, you've got to feel it to heal it. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit us at www.okra.com for more great content.